Well, good morning, Willow. It's good to be with you. How are you today? You are good? At all of our locations, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors around here, and I am a marathoner, okay? Um, I mean, I guess I can't say that yet, but I will say this. I started training two weeks ago, and yesterday I ran 3.1 miles. Come on, everybody. I ran 3.1 miles. Excited about that. Didn't even walk. And I will tell you right now, my legs are looking up at me going 23 more miles than what you did yesterday. So be praying for me. Be praying for the whole team of folks that are raising money uh, as we get ready to, to run the Chicago Marathon and raise some money for uh, water uh, in, uh, to help some of our partners around the world. Uh, super excited to be doing that. Hey, um, let's start this way. I, I, was on a, um, I was on vacation with my brother and his family. And my brother is Dan. He's six years younger. He had kids a little later. And uh, so he had this little baby, my, my little niece, Sid, Sydney, and she was about six, seven months old at the time. And she was sick. She had a, a real stuffy nose and, and, and just not feeling real well. And she started to cry. Her nose was getting all stuffed up. And, and my sister-in-law said to my brother, hey, can you take care of Sydney's nose? And then handed him one of these. This is a nasal aspirator, or as we always called it in our house, a snot sucker, right? It's, it's not out. So he handed her one of these, and my brother said, oh, come on, this never works. Which I thought he was saying because he was just being lazy. He didn't want to, you know, handle the situation. Um, you know, these things that always worked for Rachel and I, we've had three kids at the time, and, and they'd always worked for us. And, and, and so I just kind of observed what was going on. And he walked in and proceeded to um, insert the nasal aspirator into Sydney's nostril, and then squeeze the ball. Yes, you're horrified. I was horrified. I'm looking at him like, Dan, what, are you, what is going on? And at that moment, I had a decision to make. Will I engage in a crucial conversation with my brother, or do I just let that go? Well, of course I can't. So I'm like, Dan, what are you doing, man? And he looks at me all confused, and I said, give me that. And I grabbed the thing, and I showed him, right? You, what do you do? You squeeze it, then you insert, and then you let it open up, and it, mm. And his face went from confused to horrified along with me because he realized he was literally blowing snot into the nasal cavity of my sweet. I'd like to think that I saved a life that day. <laughs> and hey, what I want to talk to you about today is crucial conversations. Because every one of us in our relationships at some point will notice that someone is doing something that, that we don't feel good about. Um, uh, there's somebody that, that's not missing the mark with expectations. There, there's something wrong that we see. And we'll have to decide, do we say something or do we not say anything? Do we let it go? If we do say something, how do we say it? At some point, one of us will have an employee that's, that's not hitting the mark, and we'll have to decide, what do we say and how do we say it? 
How, how does it change if the person that's not hitting expectations at work is not our employee, but is actually our business partner? <laughs> what happens if uh, we are the parent and we notice that the coach's pep talks are becoming a little more intense than we feel good about? We feel like they're maybe belittling the children and you don't want to get involved like you don't want to be that controlling parent that hovering parent that too protective or ultra protective parent but at some point you go do I step in or do I not somebody's going to have a sister that starts dating a guy and she gets excited about it but really everybody else sees that this is probably not the right guy for her do you step in do you say something or not? Maybe it's a friend that you have, and you notice that you know, every once in a while you feel like they, they drink just a little bit too much. And, and maybe at first it didn't seem like that big a deal. It only happened every once in a while, and it wasn't too extreme. But over the course of time, you're starting to see more and more that's the pattern. That's the habit. What do you say? Crucial conversations how do you handle that well I wish you would have known Dave he had a fascinating life Dave grew up he on a farm he was the youngest of eight kids and uh, Dave just had a phenomenal relationship with God it was it was a godly family and Dave just sort of grew up honoring God in fact he would he would write songs about God he would pray to God I mean, he just really had a great relationship with God and one day a young man, uh, a young man, Dave, left home and he went off to war. And when he went off to war, he was actually kind of an amazing soldier. He became a national war hero. He had quite amazing achievements. Everybody began to notice. Dave was just a natural-born leader. And so when he came home from the war, he went into politics. And his rise to the top was nothing short of miraculous. He was wealthy. He was well-known, he was powerful, he was popular. I mean, life couldn't have been going any better until one night, Dave noticed a woman, an attractive woman, and he reaches out to her, and one thing leads to another, and Dave, this God-honoring person, he, he has a one-night stand with a married woman. And three facts about this incident are going to complicate Dave's life in a big way. And the first one is this. She gets pregnant. The second thing is that Dave tries to cover it up and tries to eliminate her husband, tries to murder him, get rid of him. And then the third thing that complicates Dave's life is that he had a friend by the name of Nate. And Nate finds out about Dave's secret now i want to push the pause button right there and ask you to imagine that you are dave's friend nate and you become aware of this entire scandal that has happened what do you do in that moment what do you say do you say anything at all see a lot of us would be tempted to sort of avoid confrontation at all costs you know, just sweep it under the rug, uh, you know, overlook it, don't get involved. If somebody wants to screw up their life, that's on them. I mean, doesn't the Bible say, don't judge? So, so just live and let live, right? And that's one side of the equation. But the Bible also highlights another value 
as well. Another way of loving, albeit tough loving, and that is this idea of loving someone enough to have a crucial conversation. The Bible talks in James 5.19, it says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. It sounds like a life and death situation. Paul in Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Folks, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is have a very difficult, maybe awkward, but crucial conversation with someone. And as we continue to talk about this, I would just ask you to think, is there somebody in your life right now that you would say, wow, is God calling me? Is this someone, is this a time that I need to step up and love this person enough to have a conversation like this, right? And, and, and as we talk through this, maybe to get some clues on whether or not to do it or how to do it, how do we do it? Back to Nate's story, because here's the thing, Nate's story is actually a biblical story. It's from the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's a story where King David sees Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop, sends out for her. They end up sleeping together. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up by murdering her husband, Uriah, or having him killed. And then David's friend, the prophet, Nathan, has this crucial conversation with him. We'll see how it turns out. All right, We're going to look over his shoulder and see what we can learn. The first thing I think we can learn is this. Determine if God is sending you. Determine if God is sending you. In 2 Samuel 12, it says, God sent Nathan to David. <laughs> God is the one that sent Nathan to David. Now, how do you determine whether or not it is God who is sending you to do this? God is calling you to have this conversation, or is it something else? And I would say this, ask yourself a few questions. The first one would be this, is your heart right? Is my heart in the right place? Why am I so concerned about what I'm seeing in this person's life? What's triggered me about what this person is doing? Is this a gotcha moment for me? Where I've kind of had some issues with this person. They were offending me. I'm not happy about what's going on in their life. And now I see something going on and boom, revenge. I can go after this person. Or am I jealous of this person? And now when I see that they've screwed up, this is my opportunity to take them down a couple notches. Guys, that's not the heart that we need to have. It's been my experience that some people come out swinging because of the pain in their own life. Maybe you've heard it said that hurt people hurt people. And so sometimes our heart is not right and God might not be calling us to have that crucial conversation. Our motive needs to be this, restoration, not retaliation. Doesn't that make sense? Restoration with someone, not retaliation. That verse, Galatians 6.1 says, we'll look at it again. It's, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, the word there, caught in a sin, is prolemphe, prolemphe in Greek. It means if you're overtaken by a sin. It is not 
oh, I caught you in that sin like a police with a radar gun. I caught you. That's not what it's talking about. It's if you see someone that is caught, like that sin is a snare, it's a trap, it has is, is overtaken their life. Our motive is not, oh, I'm going to catch you. Our motive is if I see that you're overwhelmed and overtaken by sin and I want to bring freedom and restoration to your life. That's when you reach out. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught, overtaken by sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. The word there, restore them gently, is katartizo. It's actually a carpenter's term, which means to renovate and make it uh, better than it, or as if it were new. Holy and perfectly restored. If you know anything about carpentry work, you know that there are sledgehammers and there are carpenter's hammers. Now, both hammers but they have absolutely different purposes. One is to tear down. Another is to build up. If you're thinking about praying through God, is this somebody you're asking me to, to step in and have a crucial conversation? One of the questions you ask is, is my heart in the right place? Here's another question to ask. Do I have the right kind of relationship with this person that they would even be open to the input or the feedback that I give them. If you notice in that verse or those two verses that we shared, both of them started out with the word brothers and sisters. The assumption in that verse is that we're talking to people that have a relationship. It wasn't, this wasn't a command that you're walking down the streets of Jerusalem just pointing out all the things that strangers are doing wrong. Don't do that, don't do that, you're missing the mark, you're missing the mark. That's not it at all. The Bible would indicate that what we need to do is ask the question, do I have the right kind of relationship with this person? So I'm going to ask the question, um, did this person invite me to give them accountability? There have been times in my life where I've said to somebody, hey, there's some area in my life, hey, could you ask me periodically how I'm doing in this area? I'm inviting them to hold me accountable. That's the right kind of relationship. Or does my position, does my position warrant or allow for this kind of crucial conversation? Am I this person's boss? Am I this person's father? Am I, do I have the right kind of relationship where I can have a crucial conversation? Is this relationship close enough to warrant the level of accountability? I think it might be a completely appropriate thing to have somebody say, you know, we were in small group together for six years. And then I noticed that there were some things going on in that person's life. So I prayed through it. I examined my heart. And I finally brought it up to my brother. What I don't think would be great is, on the first night of small group, I decided to <laughs> lay into this person and have a crucial conversation. You see, Nathan had a relationship with David. And the more relational currency you have with somebody, the better shot you have that they would hear the input and pursue that restoration. That's why the verse in Proverbs 27, 6 says, the wounds from a friend can be trusted. The wounds from a friend can be trusted. So we ask ourselves, do we have the right heart? Do we have the right relationship? Because I want to make sure that it's God that is sending me 
are calling me to have this conversation. Second thing I would look and learn from Nathan is to be strategic. To be strategic. How many of you know that sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it? You know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I can say, let's eat, Grandpa. I can also say, let's eat, Grandpa. And those two things mean something completely different. Commas matter. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, oh, you're here. Go ahead, look at him right now and say, oh, you're here. All right, now look at your other neighbor and say, oh, you're here. And it got a whole lot less friendly in here on the second one. If God is calling you to have a crucial conversation, it's a tough thing. It's a hard thing for us to do. And so we need to make sure that we're not just saying the right things, but how do we say them? In other words, we need to be strategic. We need, we need to be wise we need to be prayerful about this. We might want to take some notes. We might want to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm getting ready to talk, uh, with some, or talk to someone about something. Give me some input on how I might go about this. We need to be strategic. Look how strategic Nathan is with David. Because Nathan doesn't just barge in and start talking to David and accusing David and getting into his face. David, or Nathan, in 2 Samuel 12, begins to tell David a story. He comes up and he tells, he says, hey, David, um, help me determine what to do about this situation. He says, um, there's two guys that lived in the same town. He said, one was rich, had a lot of cattle, a lot of flocks of sheep. Then there's one guy, a poor man, and he only had one little ewe lamb. And he loved that little ewe lamb. Like he would feed that little ewe lamb with the rest of the family. They would sleep together. It was like a pet. It wasn't just part of the, the livestock. He loved that little ewe lamb. And one day a stranger came to town, and the rich man decided to entertain that guest. But instead of sacrificing or, or slaughtering one of his own livestock, he went over and he took the poor man's one little ewe lamb and made him the, the, the barbecue for the night. Well, he said that story to David, and David said, as surely as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. That's how you're going to deal with this. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then, you know, Nathan looked at David and he said, well, you are that man. You have taken Uriah's one and only sheep, his, his one and only wife. And you, the powerful king, the rich, the wealthy king, you went and took that one person that, may, that, 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 that he loved and made, it, made her your own. And how does David respond? Well, in verse 13, he basically says, you're right, I've blown it. I've sinned against God. And I think the contriteness or the, the, the contrition in David's heart has something to do with how strategic Nathan was in bringing up the wrong. Nathan comes at him strategically. Nathan didn't come and attack him. Nathan didn't come in front of other people where David's defenses are going to go up. Nathan, Nathan comes at him strategically. Nathan sort of brings him on the side of Nathan and, and says, hey, how should we deal with somebody like this? And so David's heart goes out to the situation before he has to get defensive about it. It was strategic. 
And we ought to be strategic as well. We owe that to the people that we're going to have a crucial conversation with. Can I give you just some practical things about how to be strategic? A couple of things. One would be this, the timing of things. The timing of when you have that conversation. I mean, we, my brother and I knew that the best time to tell my dad bad news was not right when he got home from work. He just got home. He was tired. He was hungry. He still had the stresses of the day. That is not the time to say, hey, dad, I put a scratch in the car. You know, wait till after dinner. Wait till, you know, later on in the night and then bring it up. Consider the timing. Is this the right time? Did this problem happen one time or has it been happening over time? Is this something, where is this person emotionally? Are they at the point right now that they can receive what I'm about to say? Timing. I I would say that you ought to express your intent. You ought to say to that person, hey, I want you to succeed here. Um, or, or be affirming as, as you begin. I want you to succeed here, therefore I want to tell you this. Or, or to say something like, hey, you've always been the kind of person that was responsible. You've always been the kind of person, so I know you'd want to hear this. I wanted to bring up something. Notice how you can start with humility. You can start with intent. You can start with a positive thing. The other thing I'd share with you is focus on the issue, not the person. Because the problem is the problem. The person's not the problem. So I'm not going to come to somebody and judge their, their, uh, their intent. I'm not going to judge their motive. I'm not going to judge their heart. I'm simply going to bring up what they said or what they did. I'm not, I may say, uh, hey, you showed up 10 minutes late and you always show up 10 minutes late. I can talk about that. What I will not say is, hey, you're a completely irresponsible person. Because I'm not going to make it about the person. I'm going to make it about the problem, about the issue. And then I would also say, hey, ask questions. Questions are better than statements or or accusations or declarations. So I might come and say, hey, I noticed you said this. Help me understand. Help me understand what you meant. Um, Questions over. Here's another one. Do it in person. Do it in person. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Go in person. In uh, Galatians 2.11, Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Don't have crucial conversations over text. (laughs) Don't do it over email. You can't understand. You can't hear the tone. You can't understand the heart of a person over email or text. And then finally, Go to the person in private. You'll notice Jesus said, go and do it just between the two of you. David does, or Nathan doesn't go to David when he's in the middle of the royal court, when he's giving an address to all of Israel and say, hey, you did this and call him out in front of everybody. He doesn't go on his Instagram, on David's Instagram or David's Facebook and do it in front of everybody. He went privately to David. Determine if God is sending you. Be strategic. And then finally, be committed. Be committed. See, when David hears the story and Nathan looks at him and says, you are the man, David's heart is broken. He says, I've sinned, I'm wrong. He he just feels horrible. It feels like his life is over, his, his reign is over. And Nathan looks at him in that very next phrase and Nathan says, well, David, I want you to know the Lord has taken away your sin 
and you're not going to die. It's not over, David. And then Nathan walks with David through the restoration. Nathan continues that relationship over time. Guys, if we're going to be up for willing to have crucial conversations with people, then I think we also ought to be committed to the restoration process with that person. If I've got a kid that's having trouble with grades, I'm not just going to say, hey, get your grades in order. I'm going to say, hey, do you need me to help you with your homework? Do you need me to get a tutor for you? Do you need me to, how can I help? If you've got an employee that's missing the mark, they, they don't understand something, I can have that conversation with them, but then also come and say, hey, do you need more training? Can I provide more resources? What do I need to do to help you be successful? Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. You know, before David, King David was a warrior, before he was a king, he was a shepherd out in the field. And he understood the fact that the shepherd's staff had a crook on the end of it. And that crook, that hook on the end of the shepherd's staff was used to grab a bullheaded wandering sheep and yank them back into the fold. David understood that every once in a while you've got to have a conversation, a a crucial conversation at the level that a sheep can understand and yank them back into the fold. But David also understood that when that didn't work for a sheep, that a shepherd would take a sheep and carry them to the watering hole. A shepherd would take the sheep and put it on his own back and carry them to the watering hole, talking to them the whole time. And the strategy and the thought behind it was that over time, that sheep would learn to trust the voice of the shepherd. And sure enough, often when that sheep was put back down, they would be the sheep that walked most closely to the shepherd. See, we can determine that God's calling us, we can be strategic, but we need to be committed to the restoration, to walking with, to carrying people on the other side of the conversation. And if we will, then sure enough, confrontation and conflict can actually be a bridge to a better relationship. In fact, I think David was forever grateful that Nathan had this hard conversation with him Years later, David had a son, and he named him Nathan. Let's pray. God, we love you. And Father, each and every one of us from time to time in our lives have people that that we love so much that it stirs our hearts when we see them missing the mark. And so, God, we just ask right now that we'd be a community that loves each other enough to have hard conversations. That we'd be a community, Lord, that understands that that it, it could mean the difference in that person's life. Father, help us also be a community of grace, a community of restoration community, Lord, that is committed to walking with and carrying each other's burdens. Lord, thank you that Jesus did that for us. It's in his name 
that we pray. Amen.